Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. If you're a follower of contemporary world cinema, chances are you're a fan of Franz Rogowski. Known for his distinctive screen presence and extraordinary physicality, the German actor has blazed a trail through some of the most well-regarded movies of the last few years, including Mikhail Haneke's Happy End, Christian Petzold's Transit and Undina, Terence Malick's A Hidden Life, Angela Shanelek's I Was at Home But, to name only a few. His latest role is as the lead in Passages, a new film by Ira Sachs. Rogowski stars as Tomas, a diva-esque filmmaker and very indecisive queer man who vacillates erratically between his husband, played by Ben Wishaw, and a new love interest, played by Adele Exarchopoulos. It's a role of chaotic multiplicities that seems made for Rogowski. Tomas is self-absorbed, brilliant, repulsive, sexy, vulnerable, and malicious all at once. And Rogowski brings to him a truly unselfconscious and combustible sense of humanity. For today's episode, I called up Rogowski on Zoom to chat about his inspirations as an actor and how he crafted his firecracker performance in Passages. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So, before we get into the movie, I wanted to Talk a little bit about your background. I know that you don't come from an artistic family. Your your dad's a doctor and that you kind of found your way into film through a circuitous route. But I'm wondering if there are any really formative experiences you had as a young person, either of watching movies, theater, that brought in you a love of performance? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess... Um... Somehow it was sleeping in me, you know, like most of us, we have an artistic side. And I guess it has been less of an inspirational awakening, more sort of a frustration and almost like a structural violence experience in high school, you know, for 10 years, having to sit straight, listen to boring things, having to digest all those informations that were not really interesting to me. And I felt that I'm an open person and that I'm curious to experience something in the world, but the only subjects that I was left with that somehow interested me were sport and a subject called ethics for those that were not going to the religious classes and sport. So art, sport and ethics, what could I do with those three subjects? And then, you know, I went through youth, uh, as most of my friends, I was struggling. I was trying to find my way I thought maybe smoking weed would help. It didn't. And so I was struggling. And, um, you know, theater felt like a possibility, but I wasn't sure if that would be the right thing for me. And so I just started. And that, yeah, led me on a whole 10 years journey that brought me to all kinds of things, like playing saxophone in the subway or trying to be, you know, an artist, a choreographer, a dancer. And so I guess the thing that drove me was the frustration that I felt in high school and some blurry idea of that there must be more to life than just, you know, white collar work and being functional and 
you know, I, I guess in Germany, in combination with engineering, it's, it's a very rigid perception of the world. Hmm. In that time, is there any artist that you remember really giving you that sense that there is more to life, like in any medium? Later, when I started uh, performing and I, I was looking for, for, you know, my band, my friends, um, a first company to work with in performing arts, I did a couple of pieces with a guy named Johannes Dulin. He's a stand-up comedian and a painter and a writer. And um, yeah, those years were very precious because I didn't know much and I was curious. So um, me and a couple of friends, we started making theater together all wondering how how does it work what does it mean to go on a stage and create a little miracle between you and an audience and to experience this empty space and see it as a potential rather than a burden you know and i think yeah looking back at those days they were quite formative but sometimes you can't tell un until it's over you know and um looking back at my life i feel like Several things happened for a reason, but I guess I was just I was just trying to find my people and you know um, make a living. And uh, it could have ended up in many ways in all different professions. Tell me more about playing saxophone on the subway. When did that happen? What was that like? <laughs> I live in New um, York, so I know I know what a subway artist is. You know, <laughs> that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's true. On YouTube, you have you can you know believe that New York is full of geniuses in the subway, and maybe it is, and that would be amazing. But me, I'm totally not a genius on the facts. I was just in a contemporary dance education, and I had a lot of back issues. So I went to the doctor. I went to the Chiropractician, I went to all kinds of physical treatments and they didn't really help. So I thought maybe I should be a musician. And I started playing the saxophone all day long and my intonation was just horrible. So yeah, I, I thought maybe I should share my little uh, licks and improvs um, in a little tunnel where there's a lot of echo and resonating um, space. So you don't really hear the lines that I'm playing. It, it becomes all kind of a blurry, you know, Jan Gabarek uh, church-like prayer, my prayer to the universe. And I did, and some people gave me money, but I think they were hopeful that once they give me a bit of money, I would stop playing. I, you know, something that, really strikes me about passages is of course you know you're playing an unlikable character and that's one thing but also you're very physically unselfconscious and i don't just mean in the sex scenes but even in the way you walk you run in the film there's a particular scene where you're sitting on a couch behind an editor, I think, looking at rushes and the way you're slouched or at the end of the film when you collapse in the in the hallway of the school, you have this sense of like 
yeah, you have a freedom with your body, the sense of not being self-conscious that feels incredibly vulnerable and honest. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. I know you have experience in dance, theater, clearly like subway performance, all of these things. But how has your kind of relationship with physicality evolved through all these experiences? Mm, I don't really know. It's inter an interesting observation. I guess my body is always part of me and I'm always part of the characters that I play. So there's no way around me also using myself and my physical appearance to a certain extent to give space to a fictional character. And um, the, the illusion of intimacy or the, you know, the seemingly spontaneous or unaware natural beauty is something that we construct on set. Um, the fact that you need to wait sometimes for four hours, five hours until you get on set and then on set there's 20 strangers uh, staring at you and then you're saying things that are not yours and you're wearing things that are not yours. All of this um, creates a body, a body of filmmaking, but also a structural um, reference point to which you can relate your body. And I guess that's something that I'm always trying. I am always trying to create some kind of an identity in in the spaces that we are in. And it can just be the way you sit or the way you walk. It could just be a little gesture. And sometimes you don't know what it is. And then it's maybe good to just accept that and and live with it, you know? And then you have a line, at least somebody wrote a line for you. And then you might not exactly know where to sit and how to behave, but you have a nice line to say. Is it true, I read, I think in a Vanity Fair profile of yours that you went to clown school briefly, is that true? Yeah, it's true. It's a physical theater school that, um, yeah, um, I think teaches a variety of things that all relate to um, street theater and contemporary dance and uh, clown clowning acrobatics um, and I guess I went there after a year of theater school and my wish was to get into my body and to understand more about movement and then yeah a friend of mine that studied there he was on a famous dance school before and that yeah that got me into dance and I I think more and more I started to to train my body and to work into movement and um, away from text. But uh, after a couple of years, I felt the need to to get back to words and and theater and then to film. Why did you feel the need to get back to words? Because as a dancer in in theater, you're kind of an autonomous fog machine. You create atmospheres for actors to deliver their speech. And I'm just not humble enough, you know? Yeah, I did it for a couple of years. I went through a lot of pain, knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, and yeah, lots and lots of um, sacrifices for, 
for a very yeah limited amount of recognition and also not recognition in terms of you know money or fame but just in terms of being seen by a director and to work close with someone to create something that was what I wanted and it could have been any medium I was just interested in this intimate um, collaborative space between people to create something uh, so I felt I need to start acting but as a dancer in a theater company you have a hard time getting those parts because they see you more as a person that does periods and sweats in the background. I see. Um, so for passages, um, I'm curious, you and Ira Sachs, what are some of the references you looked at for your character? Whether in terms of, you know, his performance as a filmmaker or whether his performance as, you know, a lover... Uh, were there particular cinematic or other references you were thinking of? I was thinking of a lot of references. Uh, for example, Cagney is a big reference for him. Also, um, I should know the name, but we watched we watched a couple of movies together, and he would precisely tell me why they're interesting to him, and it had a lot to do with leading characters being um, hard to be liked, like uh, characters that lead movies usually tell you also how to live and what to stand for. And they're kind of a role model often to the viewer and they give you a good time because they fight for the right cause. And in this case, we knew that the interesting thing here is that we have a leader that is alive and wants the same things as other people, but the outcome is very different because he's maybe too busy with himself. He's yeah, inflicting a lot of pain in others, but it's actually because he himself is struggling and himself is having a hard time being with himself and therefore has a hard time relating to others. So the references all dealt with uh, leads that yeah, made it awkward to, to to watch them and put you in a position as an audience to judge, but also to stop judging at the same time. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. You know, Jimmy Cagney and some of these examples you're talking about are unlikely heroes, but they're also symbols of very traditional masculinity. I mean, Jimmy Cagney is a very traditionally American male hero. Do you, do you have any reference points for the particular kind of queer masculinity that your character embodies, honestly, very in a very radically beautiful way in passages? You know, I think your character has a kind of 
expression of gender that is very hard to label or pin down. And I'm just wondering, are there any on-screen references that helped you kind of arrive at that? I'm sure there are. Um, I'm sure that there are references of this kind. Since we live in times of um, a lot of very interesting and new queer voices, and I'm, I might not be familiar with all of them because I have a tendency to you know, hide away and then just create my own bubble. Um, what I can tell you is that I've never tried to copy any references and the inspiration is rather based on the directors I work with and the scripts and the colleagues I work with. So I guess in terms of a sexual identity, it's a wild mixture of the character on paper and also the relationship that we build on set, but also my own upbringing, you know, growing up in the uh, late 80s and 90s in Germany, um, there was a lot of structural limitation to what a man could be and also concepts that I embodied without even knowing about them because they were just common sense and people didn't question them. And my parents that, you know, they are, um, I think they would describe themselves as, you know, um, interested and open-minded and they have a big bookshelf and they're interested, but uh, even them, they had had very specific experiences in in uh, Germany. So I guess it is a mixture of who I am as a man born 86 that then moved to Berlin and started living in a bubble and started making movies and then ends up in a fictional character that is together with a man and starts an affair with a woman. So um, the the desires and um, this hunger for intimacy and and life is something that is rather universal, I guess, and doesn't depend so much on your sex or your physical appearance. So the difference is, for example, in identities that I felt in relation to my husband or my new love interest, they were more based on the sculptures that we build as couples. Uh, you know, uh, with um, Martin, they, and you can also see that in the shots, um, the sheer length of the shots, but also the way the camera moves and these men becoming a sculpture of a relationship of two men relating to one another um, uh, is very different from the one that um, Thomas built with Agathe because he's never been with a woman. So the other and the wonder of the other and the otherness is something that he experiences, maybe not for the first time, but for the first time in a long time with this uh, woman. And I think these concepts and the, let's say, physical appearance were not so much driven by the political discourse and more by our curiosity as interpreters of these fictional characters. Because 
You know, the first day we met, me and Ben, we met in a cafe with Ira, and Ira said, okay, here you are. This is Ben, this is Franz, okay, bye. And then we sat there and we didn't know what to do. And that's how you start building a relationship by spending time and by experiencing something together, building something together. And I think that this approach also built our sexual identity in the movie. What did you both talk about at the cafe that first time? What did you end up doing after um, Ira left? I loved his earrings. I told him. He said, thank you very much. Um, I think he looked uh, very handsome, like a lonely poet in this corner next to the window. Um, we just, you know, we went through a bunch of formal things like, you are great. I love your work. Yes, me too. And so forth. And a little silence. And then we started talking about the script and our questions. You, When you start something new, you have a lot of questions. And those questions can be terrifying, but they can also be um, something, you know, like the, the initiation of uh, something new. So we felt like on a first date, I guess. And it's beautiful because you know that you're embedded in this film and a set so what you build there is stays there at the same time you know that you cannot just learn your lines and then you know say your lines and go home but you want to also give life to this script so i guess our first meeting in this bar started our relationship as a couple on and off screen hmm. um so you know the New York Times did a feature on you a little while ago, and they titled it, they said, an unlikely sex symbol. Uh, I don't know if you if you remember that. And Yeah, I remember him. We, we just met uh, a week ago. Yes. The, the writer? Yes. And, um, you know, I was just thinking, I mean, I, in this film, you're very much playing an object of desire, right? I mean, you're... A very immature character, but you're clearly you have this like sexual magnetism and this charisma that people keep coming to you, uh, no matter what you you know what you do. And so, I don't know. I guess I'm curious about sort of portraying a sex symbol. You know what what does that feel like? Does that feel natural to you? What kind of performative calculus does that require to kind of act on screen like you're an object of, you know, irresistible desire. I think uh, I never thought about it that way. It's uh, when I hear you say that, I mean, it sounds, it sounds great, but also um, terrifying, uh, intimidating. I mean, I would never try to be a sex symbol because I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a man. I, I have, a sexual drive, but sometimes, yeah, I, I sometimes I feel rather female. Sometimes my sexuality is not there at all, and then it's overwhelming. So uh, I wouldn't even know how to embody this sex symbol because it has so many shapes, and um, I guess the word contains so much history of so many. <laughs> Um, errors and also, you know, racist and sexist and other criteria that um, 
I guess I would just be terrified, you know. If if the director would call me, I I need a sex symbol. So I was thinking of you. I would just uh, I would not do it because I yeah I mean it would kill all my sexual drive. I think what I find much more sexy is to play with um you know with um things like yeah physicality or or power or curiosity or the mixture of um, strength and softness or the idea of the whole concept of penetration to be penetrated but also to penetrate but not just you know like literally but what does it mean to pre penetrate someone's mind you know to fuck someone's heart or to be fucked by someone's behavior or dick you never know these concepts they maybe can lead to something sexy but the word contains contains such a huge icon of history that I, gu I guess I would just run away and cry. I think that's fair. Um, just speaking of like sensuality, I wanted to ask about your relationship with your clothes in this film. You know, I uh, the clothes are really beautifully chosen. The characters are dressed in a very specific way, especially your character. I think you get a lot of his personality through your clothes and. I remember when the film screened at Sundance, everyone was talking about your crop tops, you know? Uh, I mean, it just was like this... Uh, yeah, the fashion is really quite incredible. Uh, what was your relationship with those clothes? Were you involved in choosing what to wear in different scenes? Did certain... Um, did certain clothes bring out a different side of you? Like, what was that like? Yes, so after this um, get-together in the bar... Um, me and Ben um, went to the costume rehearsal and uh, those costume rehearsals also with Adele they were our first collaborative little workshop moment where we started experimenting with different textures and textiles and um, Hadisha our um, costume designer she's extraordinary um, uh, Saeed Ben Saeed, her husband, he's the producer. So some of her personal pieces went into this film. Some of her friends, like her friend's favorite jacket is the jacket that I'm wearing. And I'm I'm wearing it still today. I mean, it's, it's part of my wardrobe now. So um, I Which think... Which one is that? Is that the uh, brown, fur, like brown kind of furry? Yeah, one? it's a huge teddy bear jacket. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, you know, this... Uh, green, transparent, pullover, and I, lots of uh, pieces, to be honest, uh, all in my wardrobe now. And I um, I was I was really inspired to wear those pieces because um, I have a tendency to adapt to the spaces that I'm in and then, give, you know, give a little twist, but, but not too much. I mean, I, I like to be a part of my surroundings. Right now, I'm on a campsite, so I'm wearing campsite-y stuff. And um, these costumes, they gave me so much inspiration, and they contain so much energy that sometimes it was almost a costume telling a story and then us wearing this story. For example, when Tomas is, he just moved in with his new girlfriend, and then he calls his husband and 
his husband or long time uh, boyfriend we don't know is um in bed with another man but what we see is we see Thomas in a leather jacket that is ridiculous it's really like a very physical snake leather jacket and he's he just moved in and like people would expect him to like calm down but then he's in a leather jacket a snake leather jacket on a balcony at it and then we see um Martin in a red dress next to a black man listening to classical music and all these textures they create like a huge story it's a it's a very funny to me very funny story it's almost imperialistic but also absurd and and comical and there were there, there were lots of moments that felt inspirational to me in terms of textures and and um certain yeah temperatures that had a lot to do with the costume there's one moment i i just think is got the biggest audience reaction was when you go to lunch with uh you know adele's parents in the film and you you're wearing your little crop top like your mesh crop top with the dragons on it and i think that moment is really interesting because on the one hand you know there's a you you already know that this character is kind of immature and rude and you think how can he come to lunch wearing something like that but on the other hand there's also you know why should he wear something else you know i mean is it it's maybe a little bit it's it's kind of homophobic to to think that this is not appropriate clothing it's like kind of uh, very normative i found that moment so interesting and it speaks to something larger about the film which is that it's asking you to hold many ideas at once i mean this person is really um you know it behaves really inappropriately but at the same time the film does make you question what how our ideas of appropriate behavior are shaped by heteronormative standards mhm and i don't know if that was an experience you had while reading the script were there moments where you were like is is he doing something bad or am i just used to thinking that things should be this way i don't know yeah i was wondering you know um on the page he was way worse than in the movie on the page i really sometimes felt like how am i going to justify his behavior this is like this is like outrageous yeah it's terrible and it's also you know it doesn't really matter um what how 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 bad or harmful a character's behavior is you as an actor need to find a reason why you are doing it and you, usually people want something good i've never met someone that somebody that wants to lose or wants to be in pain usually we want to solve things and um you know and uh, be loved and so forth so once you figure that out and you start creating those scenes and it turns to life you also start realizing that some of it is not so different from what the others want it's just the outcome is just very different because he is way less capable of modulating his own needs of speaking to himself um of um like negotiating these things they don't come to his mind sometimes and sometimes he is not capable and therefore it was fun to to be somebody that inflicts so much trouble and create so much chaos 
because chaos in the end is also energy. It's a potential. Uh, for a scene, it's, it's something, it's almost like the ball that you play with. Uh, so, yeah, as an actor, it was uh, great to be so edgy. Um, I'm te- I'm being told I'm almost out of time, so I wanted to oh, ask no. you. <laughs> yep, unfortunately, looks like you have more interviews to do. I'm sure, but I wanted to ask about what you're working on right now. I know you're you're in the UK. Is that for the Andrea Arnold film, Bird? Um, you know yes. what's how's that going? You know why are you at a campsite? What can you tell us? Well, um, it's a film that is called Bird and. She is called Andrea Arnold, a great director from the UK. We are working on it uh, day and night. It's going great. Um, And we hope that we are, you know, able to show you a beautiful movie next year. Um, We're here for 10 more days. And yeah, and then I'll be, I'll be gone. Uh, I cannot talk about it, but I'll I'll go to France and then to Berlin. we are here since six weeks, and it's raining a lot. What else can I say? Uh, the campsite and the van are part of my uh, strategy to to um, to become the one that I'm supposed to be in this story. I see. And finally, what is the last movie you've seen? The last movie I've seen is the documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Pumping Iron? Um, is it called Pumping Iron? I just started it. Um, I think Pumping Iron, is it, is it not about Coleman? No, Pumping Iron is about Schwarzenegger. Is no? it about Schwarzenegger? It's, a, it's like a mini-series, three parts. Oh, okay, maybe something else. Oh, so I maybe have to watch Pumping Iron. Why, why yeah. are you watching that? Um, because my movie account, for some reason, doesn't work in the UK. And I have like, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't use it. So I'm using my brother's Netflix account right now. And most of the stuff that you find on Netflix is just terrible. So I saw my good old friend Arnold Schwarzenegger from Austria. And I thought, let's click on that one. Great. I think Mubi needs to get you a UK account, don't they? <laughs> a UK subscription. They did. They did. I'm just a chaotic person. I see. I see. That we know from the film. Um, anyway, friends, I'll let you go now, but it was just so lovely talking to you. I'm excited for passages to come out and for people to discover your performance. And I'm, I look forward to seeing a bird when that's done too. Me too. Thank you for your time. It was lovely. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.